Hi there, my name's Neil Trigger. Welcome back to my podcast. This is chapter three of my new book called The Forest of the Dream Beast. Um, It is the third chapter, so if you haven't listened to the first or second chapter, it will sound a little bit weird because it's going to be in, uh, well, not in order. Um, Some things to bear in mind as well is that some of the surnames I haven't quite settled on yet, so if they do change, just bear that in mind. Um, But the first names are fixed at the moment. Okay, here we go. Chapter three. Introducing the orphanage. Janice Frump waddled out of the bathroom, with toothpaste foam dripping from the corners of her mouth, looking rather like a vampire had attacked a milk jug. Oh no! shouted a high, scratchy voice of a thin, bespectacled blonde boy called Martin Spicklehurst. Frump's been eating the shampoo again. I know it smells like strawberries, Frumpy, but it's only scented soap. What's the matter, Frumpy? Not enough tricky treats for you. There's a spare pumpkin downstairs, you can eat that. Mind you don't get lost. You're so round, people would never find you among the pumpkins. Oh, shut up, Spicklehurst, said Janice, wiping her mouth on her sleeve. The queue for bathroom three was long. There were only four sinks, lining the bare stone walls, and well over thirty children living in that part of the orphanage. Winstown Orphanage was one of those horrible places you read about in 19th century novels, where dust and grime feature heavily, and orphans like Oliver Twist are soundly beaten for asking for more gruel. It was a big, dirty grey building where grey weather poked grey fingers at grey walls, and the children who lived there wore grey tunics and plodded along grey corridors with grey expressions on their grey faces. Since the nasty matron Miss Spite had died, suffocated in mysterious circumstances, things had improved a little. Mrs Kringle, the new orphanage manager, approached Janice. Everything okay here, my sweethearts? she said, with a jolly little smile on her chubby face. "'Yeah, fine,' said Martin Spicklehurst dismissively. The other children were glaring at him. Mrs Kringle was a widowed, plump lady, with a reddish face, and she could not be more different to Miss Spite. She knew to eschew the grey... She tried to eschew the grey as best she could, but this led to patches of vivid colour in pretty frames that clashed horribly with the over-laundered feel of the grey walls, and helped draw more attention to the fact that the entire place was just miserable. It was like a doctor sticking a cheery cartoon-themed plaster over an enormous motorcycle injury in the hope that it might make things a little bit better. Some of the children made the obvious association between Mrs Kringle and her Christmassy surname and Santa Claus himself, Chris Kringle, because she certainly was a jolly old lady. Unlike Mrs Claus, however, Mrs Kringle's late husband was called John, and Mrs Kringle was a widow. As she had no children of her own, she spent all of her time looking after the children of the orphanage as best she could. Mrs Kringle's sweet nature and kind words made living at the orphanage much nicer for the children than under the, the tyrannical rule of the dreadful Miss Spite. But where Miss Spite milked the orphanage for every penny, Mrs Kringle never had enough money. She tried as best she could to provide for the children of Winstown Orphanage, but where Miss Spite cut corners in order to keep her bank balance as fat as her belly, the children suffered in other ways. Mrs Kringle, on the other hand, refused to let the children starve, and so the budget was always fraying. Some months before, Mrs Kringle had to let some of the staff go, and she felt simply terrible about it. She would do as much of the work as she could herself, just to keep the children happy and well fed, 
but there never seemed to be enough time, or money, for even the simple jobs to get done. The building was already in disrepair when she took over from Miss Spite, who had passed away a year or, a year or so earlier. But if there was a choice between repairing the roof or feeding the children, the children had to come first. Sarah Warwicker and her younger brother James glowered at Michael S Martin Spittle <laughs> glowered at Martin Spicklehurst. Just ignore the specky prat, James said to Janice as she squeezed her bulky body past the queue in the doorway and out into the corridor. The Warwickers were the most recent addition to the roster. Sarah was a 16-year-old girl and James was 11. Their parents had died in a house fire less than a year before and the Warwicker children hated living in such close proximity to total strangers, especially Martin Spicklehurst. Most of all, they hated sleeping in opposite wings of the old building. James Warwicker was remembering when Margot Stubbs had told James over dinner in the first floor dining room, things could be a lot worse. Miss Spite isn't in charge anymore, thank goodness. What happened to Miss Spite, James asked, through a mouthful of roast potatoes. Margot Stubbs pushed her plastic spectacles up her freckled nose with a pale finger and sniffed. I reckon someone suffocated her with a pillow, she said. You think? James asked. He had only been there for eight months, but he knew something horrible had happened to Miss Spite from the way that nobody talked about it. Don't you know? No, she doesn't know, Sarah laughed. She's just trying to scare the new kids, that's all. Nobody knows for sure. I don't want to scare you. But I'd say it was more like self-defence than murder. It wasn't a mistake, though. How could you choke on feathers by accident? Margot said, eyeing Sarah with contempt. Yeah, she's as dead as a dormouse, said Martin Spicklehurst. Door nail, Sarah corrected. Don't be stupid, said Martin. Door nails were never alive in the first place, so they can't be dead, can they? He nodded in a f kind of finality. Well, not all dormice are dead either, James protested. Yeah, but some are, said Martin with a satisfied grin. Anyway, Miss Spite's not coming back from where she's gone. That fat blob could barely raise herself from the sofa, so she's hardly likely to raise herself from the dead, is she? Sarah and James just shrugged. Just shrugged. The doorbell rang and shook James out of his memory. I'll get it, Miss Kringle, called Martin, as he leapt from the queue and for the bathroom and sprinted down the corridor. He pounded down the wide staircase, leaped the last few steps and skidded to a halt by the stained glass front door. Sarah and James and Margot had been closer to the front door, but knew that Martin was very eager to please, and Martin opened the door. Standing on the doorstep, drenched by the October rain, stood a girl of about 15 years, with long brown curly hair and vivid green eyes. She was alarmingly pretty, and quite tall. She wore a long blue trench coat, or was it a robe, or a nightdress? It was hard to tell how to classify it. The deep blue of her clothing would have made her almost invisible in the night, had it not been for the lightning that flashed her into a silhouette. Martin jumped back, took a deep breath, and then looked the girl up and down with dis disgust. "'What are you supposed to be?' Martin said. "'What?' said the girl. "'It's Halloween, you idiot. You're trick-or-treating without a costume. Well, don't think I'm going to give you anything, not looking like that, unless you're dressed like a drowned rat, in which case, bravo, you look just like one.' Is this Winstown Orphanage? said the girl. Yeah, but you're not old enough to adopt anyone, Martin said stupidly. I'm looking for the person that runs this place, said the girl. 
Complaints have got to be made in writing, Martin said. Oh, for goodness sake, Martin, get out of the way, said Margot, said Margo, pushing between Martin and the soggy girl and opening the door wider. Come and wait inside, I'll call Mrs Kringle. Mrs Kringle was already halfway down the stairs anyway, and as she made her way across the tiled entrance hall, she put her hands to her mouth at the sight of the girl looking so wet and cold. Oh, my darling, you look frozen to the core. James, Sarah, would you mind getting this young lady a nice warm towel, please? There should be a few next to the boiler. They'll be the warmest. Run along, quickly now. Martin, boil some milk. Margot, can you help Martin make some hot chocolate? It looks like this young lady needs something warm. Thank you, said the girl, but I think I'm also going to need somewhere to live. Oh, dear, said Mrs Kringle. Well... I need to know a few things about you first, my sweetheart, Mrs Kringle replied in a soft tone, ushering the girl into a nearby room with a roaring fire in it. On the hearthrug sat two plush armchairs with horrid bright flowers on them. They looked very out of place in the firelight, which cast finger-like shadows on the dark stone walls. Mrs Kringle waved a hand, showing the girl that she was to sit down. The girl lowered herself gracefully into the chair. Mrs Kringle sat down too with a soft whoomph of the cushions. I'm Mrs Kringle, said Mrs Kringle. The old lady inspected her f- the girl's face, which was still dripping with water. Even though she was dripping wet, like she had swum there, she was still staggering- staggeringly beautiful. Her stunning green eyes clashed harshly with the redness around them, and though there was lots of rainwater still dripping steadily from the girl's hair, it was obvious the girl had been crying. Pleased to meet you, Mrs Kringle, said the girl. She didn't look pleased, though. She looked like she was on the verge of another bout of crying. I'm Heather, she paused and took a deep breath before continuing. My name is Heather Gedridge, and I'm... I'm a... I'm an orphan. Thanks very much for listening to this chapter. It was called uh, Introducing the Orphanage. My name is Neil Trigger. That was chapter three of my new book uh, called The Forest of the Dream Beast. Please have a listen to the other two chapters if you haven't already. Share it with your friends and um, subscribe for more. There will be more coming. Thanks. Bye-bye.